Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have our uh, podcast out there, Steve, if uh, folks uh, are not able to listen on Saturday mornings. We also have a link in the top right-hand corner that if you are, you know, listening you can connect with us that way we have a couple other ways as well yeah you can stream us like you said or off the website or you can listen to us on your smartphone which is my favorite way to listen just download the tune in radio app um and you can listen to us no matter what you're doing yeah out there laying on the beach on vacation hopefully vacation we yeah. like vacations. Getting ready to go play golf. Probably got your tea time coming up here in just a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So still listening to the money doctors, so keep it up. All right. Um, also, email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us on our website, moneymd.net. Well, I think we have an awesome show lined up for the day. Um, as usual, you know, we have some great information. And, you know, John, we're going to start off here with something that's very, very important that people tend to take for granted and forget about, and that is cybersecurity. Yeah, it's certainly been in the news a lot. It has been in the news a lot. And I tell you, I I listened to a talk here just recently. um, Admiral Mike Rogers, who used to be director of the NSA, just retired uh, commander of the U.S. Cyber Command in the U.S. here. And, you know, it was a scary talk. It's an eye-opening talk. There are a lot of ways to protect yourself, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of danger out there sure. in cybersecurity. So this was, is an important talk. Was Eric Snowden there by chance? or Eric Snowden, no. Um, you no, know, he, he didn't show he up. Did, he did make a me- mention of him, though. <laughs> yeah, I bet yeah. he did. <laughs> <laughs> he is kind of still on their mind. I bet he is. Will. He's still on their radar. So and then we're going to follow that up with a uh, an article out of uh, CNN. It's pretty good. It's talking about uh, the worst case if you invest in a um, – in a hot stock market. I mean, markets have done extremely well over the last couple of years. Really haven't had a correction in um, probably three and a half years. I mean, it's been a long string. So we're going to talk about that. We get a lot of questions about, hey, should I be investing now? Markets are high, and we're going to kind of dive into that topic a little bit. Okay, you're not going to press us, are you? We don't want to no. talk no, about no, something negative here. It's all positive. We're all positive today. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, maybe not. <laughs> but, um, you know, but we are going to kind of end on a positive here. The labor market has been improving lately. So, you know, there is some some positive things out there in the economy. I mean, labor has picked up. Mm-hmm. The employment rate has gone down. However, there is a couple missing ingredients yeah. in the labor market. So we're going to point out a couple shortfalls Devils in there. the details, right? A couple little details, yeah. So stay tuned for that. All right, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the uh, CBO, which is the Congressional Budget Office. And um, 
This is not necessarily positive. I'll try to put a positive spin on I it for you. You are, you are all negative today. I hey, know. I'm John. sorry. Hey, I'm just reading the facts. Don't okay. shoot the messenger, let's, okay? Let's go for it. So 59 million Social Security beneficiaries as of today, that is projected to grow in the next 10 years to 78 million. Holy smokes. About 20 million increase, and by 2040, 100 million people. So not quite doubling, but up about 40%. 40%. 40, just, or 40 million. Just, just 10 years, 40% in 10 years. Yeah, it's amazing the number and that's that's a little scary from the system i think what they're going to do steve is they're going to make some changes they have to um to when you can take it um they may means test it there's going to be some things that they're going to have to do to make this whole long term yeah and since we're keeping it all positive today you know another (laughs) big problem is going to be medicare it's even worse oh come on don't don't be a debbie downer here no we're all positive man these are these are Fun facts. There you go. But when you do plan, when you plan on Social Security, if you're less than fifty, you need to discount a little bit in your retirement plan. We do that for our, our clients. Yeah, be smart about it. I mean, there are going to be changes because that cannot, and I don't think the changes will come till we actually get there because nobody really has the guts to address mm-hmm, these problems mm-hmm. ahead of time. But uh, eventually, there are going to have to be changes. That's. That's obvious from those statistics. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, um, leading up here for to our first topic, though, cybersecurity, 10 ways to protect yourself. You know, you just doesn't get more important than this. Um, all of your personal information, all your bank accounts, all of your finances, it's all out there. It's on your computer. It's it's on the Internet and all your accounts, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the country. And um, you got to take some steps to to protect yourself, um, I just recently attended a talk by, like I mentioned, Admiral Mike Rogers, who just retired as a director of the NSA, the commander of the U.S. Cyber Command, and the chief of the Central Security Service. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. He was a great speaker, very impressive talk, captivating. It was also very scary. Um, he obviously knew all the national intel on cybersecurity. He gave a very eye-opening revelation of how powerless we are really as a nation of consumers to protect ourselves from state-sponsored computer attacks and how sophisticated these attacks are. I mean, everybody from China, North Korea, Russia, and Iran are attacking our businesses and government daily. Mm-hmm. You know, they're being very patient, very sophisticated in their the methodological uh, methodical attacks, which are gradually affecting us all. Unfortunately majority of these attacks on, like, Sony, Target, and companies like the Sands Resort Casino have not really awakened the average American. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just been a minor inconvenience for most of us as our credit card companies just cancel our card and issue us new cards every time something happens. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, you know, one thing they don't talk about, and, and my guess is um, the U.S. has a very large... Uh, department that is fighting this and also is proactive. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't ever hear that in the news. I'm sure as as good as we are militarily that we have, I bet you, thousands and thousands of people dedicated to this, and hopefully it's going to grow because we're being attacked everywhere. Yeah, he was over, a matter of fact, you know, I mean, U.S. Cyber Command, and and he um, he knew all the details of exactly how these attacks took place. Oh, yeah, I'm sure I mean, he, he He would tell you where the where the, the bug got in, where the, the virus got in, hmm. and, you know, how it got transmitted from, you know, that computer or that, like in the Sands Resort Casino, it was 
it was captivating to hear how they did this. Mm-hmm. It actually got infected first in a slot machine somewhere else. Hmm. And then as their one of their guys with the right password, you know, communication got in and used his login to that casino that was somewhere else. Um, you know, it infected his wow. his uh, you know got his password credentials, Gosh. and that enabled him to get into the mainframe. Yeah. So many know. entry points. I think that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, there was a lot of doors, a lot of access points. Yeah, and so you know, but he warned. I mean, the day's coming when we're going to be affected in a major way, and it, it could be our entire economy because one destructive breach of a major financial institution really would rock our system and it could send our economy into a tailspin. Um, I mean, think about millions of people maybe not being able to access their bank account for a week at one of the mega banks out there. Mm. I mean, that's a scary thought. Yeah, that's right. And that's exactly what could happen. Of course, as an individual, there's not much you can do about that except to vote for politicians who take it seriously and... And, you know, they pass, hopefully will pass some laws to require some physical safeguards that are necessary to protect us from that kind of attack, because there are some physical safeguards they can put in place um, to protect you from that. But, you know, you can't do it individually, you know, on your bank account, for Mm -hmm. instance. You know, they can't force Bank of America to do that without legislation. However, I mean, there are many things you can do to protect your your own bank account and personal information from these criminals on your own computer. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about here today. So here are 10 ways to protect yourself and your family from these cyber crimes. Yeah, number one is a, is a big one. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been getting emails uh, daily, it seems like. And there, you know, I had one a uh, couple of days ago, and I had to look at it. It was, I had never seen that type of email. It had a PDF file on it. I didn't click it because I didn't recognize the name, but it looked legit, and it may have been legit. <laughs> so I may get a phone call from somebody saying, hey, why didn't you answer my email? But 85% of computer breaches start with a phishing email. That's one of the biggest things out there. So never open an email attachment or, or follow the link from someone that you don't know or weren't, weren't expecting. I mean, be suspicious of every attachment and every link in an email until it's proven safe. I mean, find the link yourself. Go directly to the website. Um, you know, these these fake links, I mean, they've gotten really good at they making look them look really good. convincing and real. So you got to be very skeptical. You know, if you find yourself on a fake site, you got to immediately go change your passwords. And um, also there's some uh, something called SSL on your email accounts. It's just another security feature that you can implement. But just be very wary. I mean, it, these these attacks are getting very sophisticated. Yeah, that's exactly right. Email is the weak link usually in every computer breach. They say, I was surprised I heard 85% yeah. of them start that way. Um, passwords is another really important factor. Um, you know, never use passwords in the dictionary or names. People use, like, pet names and things. Mm-hmm. Words in the dictionary with a combination of a couple of numbers, they can be cracked in seconds. I mean, think spell check here. We talked about this last week. I mean, computers, they're fast, and password crackers always start with the entire dictionary and the entire list of names, common names. They always start with that. Yeah. And they'll, in just seconds, they go through every single one. So use something like an acronym of words from your favorite um, song, you know, with numbers and special a special character. Change your password routinely. Use unique passwords for each account, you know, which will lead us here to our next like, next one. Like after. Steve Spurrier, would that be a good password? Uh, Steve you know? Spurrier. Yeah, they would that, never think of that. They would never get I mean, that one. Uh, who knows that guy? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I agree. Or Dabo I mean, or, you know. 
Yeah, Mark exactly. Rick or somebody. Exactly. There probably are a lot of people using those names. <laughs> Who knows? All right, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call during regular business hours, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD. The money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the uh, break about cybersecurity, 10 ways to protect yourself. And uh, yeah, John, I was just talking. I mean, we I, I heard this captivating talk from Admiral Mike Rogers here recently, who is the head of the, the, the director of the NSA, National Security Administration, and um, U.S. Cyber Command and the Central Security Service. Mm-hmm. And he knew all the secrets about, oh, I bet. you know, he said he's seen Area 51 mm. and all the aliens there. Okay. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he said that tongue-in-cheek. It was pretty funny. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, but he—the scary thing is he—he he knows the details of how China, North Korea, Russia, Iran, and all these really sophisticated hackers are trying daily, you know, and are attacking daily our computer systems, and and how they've made these very sophisticated breaches to to big companies like Sony. He said Sony almost went down. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost went out of business as a result of that. You know, it was a huge breach. And Target, companies like the Sands Resort Casino, where they totally wiped out all of their computer, all their servers. <laughs> they totally erased them. Yeah. You know, the Sands Resort Casino, it cost them $40 million wow. for that one that one little company. And, you know, again, it, it, uh, it pretty much, you know, took them to the brink of going out of business. Um, but, you know, and what he warned was, you know, I mean, it's just a matter of time before there is that kind of destructive breach of one of our major financial institutions. You know, think of a Bank of America or some huge company like that mm-hmm. that we all bank with and our data being lost mm-hmm. totally because yeah. it's wiped out and it takes like a week to recover. Mm-hmm. Think of it if you can't access your bank accounts for a week. What would that do to our economy? Yeah, that would be it a would, challenge. It would be a challenge, and, you know, it would rock our economy, and that's the kind of thing he warned about, you know. So you really got to be vigilant, um, and you gotta you got to protect your own personal information. Um, but So there's not much you can do on the national level, but on your individual level, protecting your own information, you can do that. And we just talked about never using words in the dictionary or names, and the 85% of breaches start with a phishing email where there's an email out there and somebody opens a link. So never, you know, open one of those links. Um, another thing that they mentioned, though, was to use a password manager and use one on a USB stick. Hmm. Okay. Um, you know, a password manager resides in your hard drive. Put it on USB stick. The, the cloud-based managers are great. 
but the problem is, you know, when they get hacked, then you're going to lose everything. Yeah, everybody thinks the cloud is, you know, up there somewhere, and it's all it is is network computers in a remote location. Exactly. You know, you know I thought it was very. He said, you know, that the um, or was another person I heard speak said that, you know, the marketing person came with the word the cloud. Yeah, right. Was brilliant, but yeah. he also should be shot. You know, because <laughs> I mean that yeah. just put the wrong impression in people's minds. All it is is a remote server, mm-hmm. right? It's remote servers that are linked to together and instead of one access point there are thousands of access points so it's that much diff- more difficult to secure it you know but he mentioned never buy a usb stick off of ebay or anywhere else that has has already been opened um they'll be infected with virus a lot of times in fact that's the way they propagate viruses a lot mm-hmm. of times is by selling uh, you know the really sophisticated ones is selling a device yeah. secondhand where they've infected it yeah, inexpensively inexpensively so, very inexpensive device so which kind of leads you to the next one here number four is never buy a network or computer device from ebay or secondhand everything that connects to your network at home is a computer and it can be infected. I mean, it's becoming common for devices to be infected when purchased from uh, from various sources out in the marketplace. You know, you mentioned eBay, but there's certainly other ones out there. You know, these devices contain um, key loggers that record your information. They send it out. Um, so they give away a lot of your account information. And, and no one runs anti-spy um, spyware on your DVD player or printer or, you know, Nest thermostat, you know, Apple TV, some of these technology devices that are out there they're just you don't have that 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 protection on there so you have to think twice about every access point in your network because it's a way to get into it that's exactly right yeah and that leads us to our next one and that is to run a firewall on every device and be careful about where you go um you know now i don't know anybody that runs firewalls on their dvd player and i don't even know how you would do that but (laughs) you know the point is you know there are things you can do and every one of those devices that connects to your wi-fi is a an access point that can be infected so you have to be careful um but on, on your on your own computer though run a content filter on your computer to look for suspicious content on every site and then it'll warn you before you go on that site if there's suspicious content before you're there um this will warn you if um you know there's any programs on there that might try to infect your machine as soon as you get on the site also be careful about cloud computing you know there are many access points to be hacked on a cloud so you know be careful about what kind of information you store on the cloud it's fine if you want to store pictures on there but just recognize that you know they they could get hacked mm-hmm. anytime. Um, and then and the next one on the list is be careful where you log in from. You know there are if you're going to log in to an account from a public place, don't use Wi-Fi. That's what he was saying. If you use public Wi-Fi, you have to assume mm-hmm. that it's being monitored by some kind of key logger. Um, use a a three G or four G connection to log on to your bank accounts remotely um, or so other other important sites. He says those are much more safer than a Wi Fi a public Wi Fi connection. Um, always assume that a public Wi Fi connection is being monitored. Use your phone on four G as a hotspot for your laptop if you need to log into personal accounts while you're away from yeah, home. that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I'd never thought of that. But, yeah, you can use your phone as a, as a hotspot, you know, and it's pretty easy to do. You know, never use an Internet kiosk. You have to assume those are always going to be corrupt. Yeah, that's that's good. Very good advice. I know a lot of us travel, and, um, you know, you got to take heed of that. Someone's watching you out there. So number seven here is never use free apps that you're not familiar with on your phone. I mean, this is a – 
getting to be common way for um, for personal personal information from people being being uh, breached. I mean, you need to understand why they're free. They have to make money somewhere, so they're taking your information. Never allow access to um, to to contacts or the internet by apps that you obviously don't need. Um, you know, like your flashlight. You have the flashlight app, right? Yeah, mine yeah. asked me the other day if it could if it could uh, uh, access my location. My yeah. flashlight did. No, oh, it right. came up on my phone. Your flashlight wants to know your location. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Not. Why does my flashlight need to know my location? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't exactly. As you mentioned, run run that firewall on your devices that have access to the internet. Yeah, good one. All right, next one here was download the patches to all of your printers and devices from the manufacturers that's right your devices will probably have software patches to improve security almost immediately after you buy them so you need to update them like your computer and download the patches to the devices you just go on there and find their menu somewhere and it's somewhere it's going to say update software Mm -hmm. and it'll connect to your wi-fi and do it um, otherwise, they'll get a virus, and it could steal your info just like your computer will. Yeah, that's good. The number nine here is be careful about using a web proxy or going through any third-party software to access your accounts. I mean, a web proxy um, can be useful for keeping your browsing anonymous. However, like third-party software, it can be a source of security breaches as well. So, you know, don't access your important accounts through this third-party software like Quicken or, or Mint.com. Um, you know, if you if you want to get your info into those programs and download it into a CSV file first, directly from your account's website. That's interesting. I never never thought about that, but because um, a right. lot of people are using Mint, that's a very very popular software. Very, very popular, and that's what a web proxy is. So you have to be careful. <clears throat> Definitely. Next, the last one here on the list is to run a robust virus and spyware program on your computer with real-time monitoring and automatic updates. I mean, it seems obvious, but there's so many people that don't do it, or they'll have the free version that doesn't do real-time monitoring. Well, every computer gets malware eventually, so you need a robust anti-malware program. And, you know, you're going to have to pay for good protection. So plan to buy a premium version that includes real-time protection. Download and install one that has been thoroughly checked out with reviews on maybe like CNET.com is a good place to, to see reviews on any software that you download. And you want to make sure that it's not it's not spyware itself. There are so many an- fake antivirus programs out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to use a good one like like Malware Bytes is one that I'd usually recommend. So and never fall for those pop up ransom scams <laughs> that claim to have scanned your machine and, and they've found a virus and they want you to click to clean your computer. That is a scam. So be careful of that. Okay. Well, the takeaways here are you know we live in a very dangerous world of cybersecurity and the danger has entered our homes and our workplace. So just like you would take lots of precautions for leaving on vacation to lock up your house and to protect your belongings, you need to do that daily with your computer and your internet devices. It's just a matter of time before we're all affected in a big way, but you can minimize that with some of the precautions and vigilance that we've mentioned here. So email us if you have questions. Um, And that leads up to our break here. But if you do have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call during regular business hours at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to MoneyMD. We'll be right back after these messages and GNN News. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Money MD, when the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we're going to lead off our second segment here with the question of the week. In this question, uh, we get occasionally about um, parents helping their kids uh, with their bills. And so the question is, is my son wants to borrow money to make a payment for his car, should I Should I do it? Should I borrow, let him borrow it? Heck no. <laughs> well, well okay. I think I'll give my take on You give me your two cents. Um, you know, I think, you know, giving him the money, if you can afford it, versus a loan would probably be okay to do that. But you have to set some parameters about doing that. Exactly. That That's the thing. It can't be just this... this um, you know, open-ended, I'm going to pay your car payment forever because right. you know if you do it the first month, it's going to be the second month and the third month mm-hmm. and the fourth month. So I think right up front, you got to set some conditions, and you have to say, okay, son, daughter, you know, I'll pay it this month and maybe one more month. But you know what? If you don't – if you can't start making these payments – then we're selling the car. Yeah. You know, and so after two months, you put it on the auction block. I mean, you set those parameters up front. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's going to be a never-ending cycle. And I know when 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 we do counseling sessions for folks out there that are struggling with um, with finances, we'll point them in the direction of, of Dave Ramsey, maybe or maybe Clark Howard, someone out there. Give them some resources. They should be doing budgets. Um, uh, exactly. You know, so have some contingencies based on you're going to give them that. Um, but they need to go to a class or read a book or do some some step in the right direction. Yeah, the real key is to never have a car payment. <laughs> That's the key. Yeah, you know, like they shouldn't have gotten the stinking loan in the first mm-hmm. place. They should have bought a $2,000 car, and then when they saved up enough money, they could buy a $5,000 car, and then when they saved up enough money, they could buy an $8,000 car. You sure are negative today. No, I'm, that's come a positive. On. That's a positive, John. I mean, come on. you got to think about this the right You're way. You're denying people cars? I mean, we're not denying. We're, we're like helping them be free. Freedom. Free, yes. Freedom from from debt, debt and, and from servitude yes. and from these problems like this question leads to where mm-hmm. you yeah, can't make your car payment. Yeah. If you paid cash for it, there wouldn't be a problem. That's right. You it, wouldn't have a car payment. Well, then the only question would be, hey, Dad, gee, you know, I need to get my car fixed, mm-hmm. you know, and I need $300. I mean, that's a lot easier decision than, than a car payment. Mm-hmm. You know, you can help them with that. Yeah, it, it comes back to budgeting. We, we A lot of the root of, root of financial evils comes in the lack of budgeting. So Exactly. Good, so, uh, so don't have a car payment. That's the answer to the question. Right. Okay. And that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is, um, you know, the stock market. Should you be investing? What is the worst case if you invest money in this hot stock market? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an article out of CNN Money. It's an interesting proposition, uh, a different way of thinking about sure. investing in the market and, today. And certainly uh, when we talk about the stock market, we, we never try to predict it. No one can do that. We're not trying to predict it here. Just kind of looking a little bit back on history, and I think history can be a reasonable guide. Um, but uh, you remember uh, Rambo, Sylvester Stallone? I do. I loved that movie when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. And he says, I'm your worst nightmare. And for investing, most people think uh, the equivalent torment of that, similar to, to Stallone, is a dramatic stock market fall. So 
I don't know about you, Steve, but I'm getting questions and have been, if you think about it, for a couple of years oh, now. Yeah. Should I be ending. investing in the market when it's at an all-time high? And it's been like that for a while now, right? Well, that's what markets do. You know, when markets move higher, they're, they're making all-time highs mm-hmm. every time. Yeah, right. Um, so it's just natural process. And, and it's human nature to get antsy about the next plunge. You know, people are trying to predict that right now, especially when the U.S. market is in the midst of its third uh, longest upswing in history. So that's interesting, third longest. So this is not unprecedented, right? No, definitely not. It's the third longest, so it's happened before. But at some point, the party has to to end, right? You know, at some point, markets do correct. Well, there's going to be correction, sure. It happens. It happens on average once a year. Yep. But it's worth asking, uh, what exactly is your Rambo nightmare? And, you know, if if you take the worst timing ever and you get into the stock market, uh, on the day that it peaks. And so there's a gentleman out of uh, LPL Financial that ran the numbers. His name is Anthony Valeri, and uh, we've got some, some worst-case scenarios that we're going to kind of walk through. Yeah, and you know, and they really are the worst-case scenario that I think you usually would not run into because you're going to own more than the mm-hmm. S&P 500. But here's what it is. So what is the worst-case <clears throat> scenario? Well, in, the, in nearly 90 years of market history, if you bought stocks at the absolute worst day, the average time to make your money back was three years, and that was less time than most people um, to get through, you know, high school or college. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's doable. It, it shouldn't make you shy away from investing in stocks. I mean, three years on average to fully recover. And I think the other thing which you just mentioned is the S&P 500, which is um, the largest U.S. stocks. So we're not looking at international. We're not looking at small stocks. We're not looking at bonds either, which most people – if they have a diversified portfolio, these numbers would, would be different. Better. Yeah, they would definitely be better. So obviously, to live through you know three years is painful, but when you look at what you're investing for, most people, you know, it's 10 to 20 years out. Um, met with some folks this last week that are 65 years old. Their life expectancy is 20 years. So, you know, most people have at least 10, if not 20 years to invest. And, That's right. um, you know, the other thing, Steve, that we look at, we've looked at some data that say most corrections if you're diversified, recover within a couple of months. It's not a couple of years from the data that we've seen. That's right. Right. So, so making sure you're diversified is, is key. And, um, you know, there's some other things that we look at as well. The big crash of 2008 was obviously much more severe. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. If you look at 2008 financial crisis, if you got in at the absolute peak, which was like October, October the 19th, 19th, 19th of 2007. 2007, yep. exactly. Um, you know, it would have taken you five and a half years to recoup your money if you were only investing in the S and P five hundred. That's right. That's right. So there we go. I mean, you're all in stocks. I mean, there aren't too many people that bought in everything into the S and P on that very day. Right. You know, but if you want to feel even gloomier, if you invested on the day before the nineteen twenty nine cat crash, October twenty ninth, nineteen twenty nine, it would have taken you twenty five years to be back positive. Now, that's a long time, even for a long-term investor. But again, if you were diversified, it was usually a lot faster than that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I've run the numbers before, and you could have fully recovered from the bottom in four and a half years. Now, the bottom wasn't until June of 32. Right. But still, four and a half years later, if if you were diversified into just into equities, but international, small, 
large and small, um, you would have recovered in four and a half years. Yeah, and the other thing this doesn't mention, Steve, is rebalancing, and we talk about that concept. That basically, if you have some bonds, you may sell some of those bonds and go buy the equities when they're low. That'll help you when it does recover. The other thing it doesn't mention is, um, you know, are, is anybody putting money into this? Are they dollar cost averaging? And that can be a great way to take advantage of these down markets. It makes and, a big and, difference. And they don't mention that at all. But, you know, before you decide to exit stocks, remember that 90 years of stock market history, only the Great Depression took longer than a decade to recoup your money. And only uh, four times did it take longer than five years to get back to gains. So they're pretty rare events, um, and we've had some pretty big events in the last 15 years between the tech tech bubble and then the, the real estate and the financial crisis back in 08. But you know, furthermore, most people don't put their money in, in on the worst day ever, as you mentioned. In fact, most investors, especially those with 401Ks, pensions, and other retirement plans through their work, they're putting money into funds every few weeks, and that spreads out the risk and means that it's going to take less time uh, to earn your money back. That's the dollar cost averaging we were talking about. Yeah, and, you know, I think another way of looking at this, too, even though the market's at a high, history shows that that records usually follow more records. Mm. Um, Because, I mean, if you look at the stock market once it's hit a high, what what it shows is that there's a 68% probability the market will hit another all-time high within the next year. Yeah, that's right. When stocks are high, um, there's some positive things going on. The first question investors should be asking is, are the highs based on fundamentals or are they based on emotion? I think we have some, some good track records. If you look at technology, um, that was a, certainly a challenge. Right now, most experts are saying the economy is improving slowly and businesses are, are generally growing. That's why stocks have, have been going up, you know. Um, so the qu- next question I, we get a lot of times is, can you really time the market? Um, as much as investors want to be sure to get out of the market before it drops, an even worse problem is not being in the market when it's going up. If you've been sitting mostly in cash for the last couple of years, you've really lost out. I mean, you've lost a big opportunity. So missing That's the upswings right. is more of a Rambo-style nightmare to your portfolio than missing the downturns. Oh, it is. You cannot afford to miss the big upswings. You know, think about if you miss the the uh the the big you know the 12 month period following the bottom in uh, in 2009 mm-hmm. the mar- the S&P 500 was up like 92% from that next 12 month period you know, from March to March. So you, you can't afford to miss that. I mean, if you're trying to time the market, you have to get two decisions right. You have to get out at the right time. Then you have to get back in at the right time. And human nature is getting both those decisions. Um, you're going to get them wrong most of the time. So be patient really is the key to successful investing. History is on our side of optimists, you know, even if your timing isn't great, if you're just patient and you, mm-hmm. you, there's time in the market, that's the most important, not timing I mean, the market. Yeah, and I think we, we talk about this, um, Steve, for our, our clients is have a plan, kind of know where you're walking, um, put money in on a, on a monthly basis, be diversified, can't worry about the, the stock market highs and lows. They, it moves around. You can't predict that. So just make sure you do some planning. Yeah, and if you're retired and you have more of a short time horizon, um, you know, put enough money in fixed income mm-hmm. 
so that you can live off that and give the market time to recover. You know, that's the way a good diversified yeah. portfolio works. That's being rebalanced. You're living off of their fixed income when markets are down. That's right. And so if you have 40% of your money in fixed income, chances are you can draw off that for four or five years, give them give the equity part of your portfolio plenty of time to recover. Yep. And that's the way it should work. See that positive message coming out of my article. There you go. You like See, that? It's always positive. That's I love right. that, John. You're all positive today. <laughs> all right. Well, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back with these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and we are I'm going to uh, start off our last segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, when, when facing an important financial decision, wait at least overnight to make it. Um, you know, we see a lot of situations where pressure and emotions, it can lead you to a wrong decision a lot of the time. So take a step back. And so when you're buying something or you're having to make a decision about uh, life, whether it be moving or you know accepting a job, don't do it on the spot. Um, That's right. Step back. We say at least a night. I mean, you can wait a week. Um, yeah. Go consult even, and get some advice. Yeah. I mean, one of our advice on, on you know on how to control your spending is when you have a, a big purchase, really delay it for a month mm-hmm. and see if it's still a need. You think it's a need, and a lot of times after a month, you don't even really want that anymore. Yeah, that's right. So it's a very effective tool for 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 not overspending and buying things you don't really need. So, uh, but yeah, delaying any financial decision for at least uh, I would say a week. Yeah, you I know, think a week would be um, makes a lot reasonable. of sense. So, great prescription of the week. All right, that leads up to our last topic here, and that is um, the missing ingredient in the labor market's recovery. You know, I mean, we have some really positive news here, though, that, that this all stems from, and that is that that employment has picked up. I mean, we've had a, a nice recovery in employment. We're now at like 5.5% mm-hmm. unemployment rate here as a nation. Um, so that's that's a really good thing, um, and it's improved. However, there are some holes in that, in those statistics. Um, you know, so the question is, why are so few Americans participating in the labor market? Um, you know, the, the chief investment strategist from BlackRock explains this by noting two important implications to investors. I mean, recent data shows U.S. labor market is continuing to improve. Job creation is running at the fastest pace since the late 90s. So that's all very, very positive. Um, you know, there's some evidence that wage growth is finally starting to accelerate, albeit modestly. However, one of the key components that's missing from the recovery is rising labor force participation. You know, the participation, the amount of people in the labor force is now it's close to its lowest rate since the late 1970s at 62.8 percent. So the question is, why is that? Yeah. And this this gentleman sees three main reasons why why that's the case. The first one is an aging population. I mean, certainly the Great Recession inflicted significant damage on the labor market. Much of the decline in the participation rate can be traced to the simple fact that the the population is getting older. I mean, aging individuals 
tend to work less than younger ones. And this is why the participation rate has been declining now for, for 15 years. And according to a White House study from the beginning of 2011 through uh, recently, the participation rate uh, fell by 1.4%. Um, that's that's roughly 70% the decline uh, that can be attributed to the aging population. And we mentioned that in the Social Security facts going from 58 million, um, you know, recently up to, um, you know, uh, you know, another 10 million That's people right. associated with it. So uh, labor force is aging. Yeah, I think that is true. I, I think there are some other factors he doesn't mention here that um, I'll just throw in here. I mean, one of them is the extension of unemployment benefits. You know, you, you let you let people you know, not have to work for that. I mean, even Obamacare, you know, putting more people on Medicaid mm-hmm. gives them less incentive to work for, for medical coverage. Disability claims are out of the They're roof. out of the roof. They, mean, they really softened up on disability mm-hmm. and allowing people, more people to claim Social Security disability. And once they get on that, they're never going back to work. Yeah. That's so, right. you know, there are some other factors here that he had mentioned. Um, but he do mention here fewer women are working. I mean, the male labor force participation has been dropping for decades. But for most of the last 60 years, the decline has been offset by a steady rise in female participation. Unfortunately, that trend seems to have come to an end. Female participation started to peak back in the 1990s at around 61 percent. It's plateaued to that level until the financial crisis, and then it's been steadily slipping a little bit. As of last month here, the female labor participation rate was down to 58.1%. So it's down a few percent Mm -hmm. from the peak at around 61%, and that's the lowest level since the uh, early 1990s. So it's just another sign, I think, of the aging population. I think he's definitely correct on that. Sure. And another one here that uh, makes sense is that there's a mismatch between skills employees have and those employers need i mean there's a large part of the decline in particular that is um secular uh there's a cyclical component as well i mean people typically drop out of work um you know the, the workforce during and immediately after recessions what is different this time is though is that the individuals are not returning to the labor force it was as was the case in the past cycles I mean, this is arguably a function of the um, the unique nature of the latest recession that we had back in 2008. But, you know, demand for workers has shifted. In many industries, construction, as an example, uh, demand is still well below the pre-recession peak. I mean, a lot of displaced workers, um, they may lack the necessary, you know, skills um, to for new jobs. And example, healthcare. I think we have great resources locally. Aiken Tech does a f- fantastic job of yep. preparing workers with specific skills, whether it be nuclear or welding, and that puts them into a specific job. So a lot of people are missing those skills. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, they point out some other factors here that may be contributing to the decline as well, including a large percentage of work younger Americans that are in college uh, is sharp spike in Americans claiming Social Security disability benefits, as you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but looking forward, I mean, there's a strong labor market that should slow or at least temporarily reverse some of this decline. You know, the demographic trends, structural changes, and the labor market suggest that participation rate will remain under pressure for some time. Um so, you know, what is the impact on investors? Well, for investors, I mean, there are two critical implications here that he points out. You know, there's the slower real U.S. GDP growth, um, economic growth, in other words, after inflation. 
Um, that's that's probably going to be slower than the hist- historically mm-hmm. we've seen back in the 90s. And also lower interest rates. Um, you know, it's going to put pressure on interest rates to kind of remain low. And may, so maybe interest rates don't go as high as they did previously simply because of the pressure on on wages. Um, you know, but if the aggregate hours work, grow more slowly because fewer Americans are working, um, the absent uh, spike in productivity, real growth will also be slower. And to the extent that real growth, growth slows, nominal growth is likely to be slower. You know, and that's just a trend that's, that that will hurt the overall growth of the economy and perhaps the growth in the stock market. Um, however, I will say this, you know, I mean uh, – some things he doesn't mention here. I mean, technology can make a big difference on this. Technology can trump oh, yeah. um, the demographics. I mean, just look at the oil and gas industry, yeah. how that has boomed. And it's all been technology. It hasn't been more more employees. To, uh, you know, it hasn't been more labor. Mm-hmm. It's been breakthroughs in technology where they're, they're producing tons more oil and gas from the same wells simply because of the way they're drilling it and fracking and horizontal drilling and things like that. Um, same thing in medical, uh, same thing in manufacturing, 3D printing and things yeah. like that. I think technology is, I think we're in a, a very unique time period with technology. We I mean, are. I mean, obviously computers and industrial revolution many, you know, hundreds of years ago, but um, technology is changing the way business is done. It really is. It really is. So, I mean, it is true. I think these facts may say, okay, this maybe the stock market doesn't grow at, at 10 or 11% like it did back, you know, in the last 40 years. Maybe it only grows at 8 I don't know. I mean, nobody knows. But technology yeah. could make a huge difference and could change the whole playing field. Well, the other stats that we see is the number of people outside the United States that want to live like we want to live. Exactly. So maybe the growth doesn't come from the U.S. as much as it has. Maybe it comes from... Africa. I mean, I read articles about companies, you know, going over to Africa, trying to set up, you know, operations over there. So, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, trying to make a prediction on the stock market or growth on a random fact like this, um, as we've shown in the past, is not wise. And I think part of the slowdown in growth has been the economic policies of the current administration and just in general, you know, in the U.S., how we've tended more towards socialism. Mm -hmm. I think. You know, if we stimulate the economy through more capitalistic type policies, um, it will encourage more people to work because it'll revive the American dream, you know, and the opportunities that are out there to get ahead Mm -hmm. and to make a great living. So, you know, I I, I take this as a positive to say, yes, demographics have changed, but but there are huge opportunities out there. And I think we're going to see it in our economy. It's just a matter of time. I do, too. So, all right, good topic. And that brings us to a close here, though, of this week's edition of Money MD. So, tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can also give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all
Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Yeah,